when we were preparing for this series on the book of Genesis, it, that it is us, it is Genesis in context, that what we see in Genesis applies to us. It's our backstory. What we didn't know as we had conversations and brainstormed the video that you just saw that three weeks into the series, that video, I don't know about you, but for me watching it today, almost feels like what we're watching on TV. Or I guess I'm old, I'm watching it on TV. Some of y'all are watching it on your um, social media. I'm doing that as well. As we watch this conflict in Israel take place, it isn't a new conflict. It's not just decades old, it's generations old. It's got roots all the way back in Genesis. You see, because Genesis is us, it's us in context. We started a couple of weeks ago with this series and focusing on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we focus first and foremost, when we think about our backstory, that first and foremost, we are God's. God created us. When we look in the mirror every day, and I know some of y'all just had this moment of, I try not to, or some of you are like, I look all the time, or others of us are somewhere in between. Like when we look in the mirror, we see lots of things. But yet first, our first look is that we are looking at God's creation. He created us. And as we know through the story of Genesis, that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are given the whole garden. They're given everything they need. Can anyone relate to that? That we have everything that we need. And yet God says, you, you got all this, but just don't, just don't eat from this one tree. And then that's what they want. That's where the temptation becomes. We would never say that we are God, but yet we spend a lot of our lives in control or under the illusion that we are under control. And we too find ourselves going, I got all I need, but I want more. I want more. Last week, we moved past Noah to Abraham, and we talked about God's promises. That the promise of, to Abraham is our promise to that our God is our God across generations. Today, we find ourselves in the middle of Genesis. If you've been keeping up through our Bible reading plan, which I hope you are, if you are, this is like the part in the, in the plan where you're like, we're about midway through Genesis. It's the third week. I've tried hard, but I don't know if I can keep going. Keep going. Or you've already given up, I'm going to tell you, go ahead and get another plan or go online at concordunata.org slash Bible and read starting this week because there is no way that I can adequately in our time together go into all the specific details of what we're going to talk about with Jacob and Esau. So read it this week using the Bible reading plan. Now let's talk a little bit about the culture and the context in which Genesis exists. 
And it exists in what's called a patriarchal society, which means the men are the head of the household. So as we walk through Genesis, it's the guys that we will follow. We started with Adam and then we went to Noah. Cain and Abel were in there as well. But we're following the lineage. And this is important for our entire story as we follow through scripture. So Abraham, we talked about last week, his son with Sarah is Isaac, and that's where we find ourselves today. As we have looked at, this is our backstory, this is our promise, today we look at our problem as we focus on the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons and they're twins, Esau and Jacob. And they get in this fight in the womb. And I don't know about the moms out there who have experienced at times the joy of a baby in your womb. I'm intrigued what it must feel like to have two and they're wrestling. And sometimes the joy is the feet are in your ribs. And so I go back and be like, what would that have been like? But they get in this, this wrestling match in the womb and it ends up Esau wins and he's born first. He is Isaac and Rebekah's firstborn. And that's a big deal in the culture because there's this thing called birthright. And the birthright means that the firstborn son gets status and wealth. So if there were five sons, the, the father's wealth would be divided between those five sons and possibly divided six ways. And the oldest son, the firstborn, would get the first and the sixth, a double share. So Esau is the firstborn and he is entitled to this as the firstborn. It's his birthright. One day, he and Jacob are no longer in the womb, but they're older, and Esau has been out doing his job. He's been out hunting, and he's famished when he comes home. Jacob is making a stew, and Esau says, give me some stew, and Jacob says, give me your birthright. I know, it's, it's, it's radical, right? Stew and birthright, they're not really equal. But because Esau was so hungry, he said, okay. And he gave his birthright up, which in that culture would have been a really big deal. Now, he's resentful of it, though he chose to do it. And we see our problem Though you and I may not have the birthright of a firstborn son, we can see how our problem is becoming evident. That takes place in chapter Genesis 25. In Genesis 27, we see another conflict. Isaac is older and he's close to death and he's going to give his blessing. It's like his last will and testament that is to go to Esau, Rebekah, overhears this, the mom does. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I think about what, this is like side note. Sometimes I think about what we're named and I'm like, did our parents really understand what our names meant? No, no offense to any Rebecca's in the room. But Rebecca hears that it, there's good, that 
Isaac's going to give his blessing. And she figures out this way. She talks to Jacob about how they can fool Isaac into giving his blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. And the plan works great. Isaac is a little suspicious, but yet he gives the blessing to Jacob. And then Esau shows up to get his blessing. And this is what happens in Genesis 27. After Isaac finished blessing him, Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I've made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Please, me too, my father. Then Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from here. Why should I lose both of you in one day? You see, here's our problem. Our problem is we are motivated by self. Just as we see play out in this story, just as we see play out in Genesis, we are motivated by me, my, mine. I had a friend who used to say, I'm all I talk about, what do you think about me? <laughs> you know, I, one of the, I don't know if it's the good or not good, but part of the journey of preaching is that the week before the sermon, I get to wrestle with what hopefully y'all spend the next week wrestling with. So I'm uh, ahead in the sense of, this past week, I found myself 
taking notice of how I am motivated by self. You may have heard it said, it's my way or the highway. Some of you know those people. Some of us are those people. Where it is our way and we're pretty confident it is the only way. We are motivated by self. In a commentary about this section, this is what the author said. Purposes of God are tangled in a web of self-interest and self-seeking. Self-seeking, self-interest, our way or the highway, we know best. Think about your week. Where is it that you had this experience where you were pretty confident that whoever you were interacting with didn't get how things needed to be done? It could have been with someone who is a stranger. Like one of the ones I think of is at Target, and I have absolutely nothing against Target at all. But sometimes I feel like I need to manage the front. That I'm not sure they have all the cash registers open that they need. Do y'all know I have never worked retail? I, I have no experience with it. But in that moment, I become an expert in something I don't know about. But yet, it's all about me. It's self. And then there's the interactions that we have with those we know where we help them. Does anybody help others? It's because we know best. That's our problem that we are our focus. We are motivated by self. We see it in the story in Genesis. We see Rebecca and Esau and Jacob and Isaac. Are they motivated by self? Is there some greater plan? And this is the thing about self. Self collides with others and there is conflict. Are you in conflict with anyone currently? You see, because when it's about our way or the highway, about my way, at some point I'm going to enter, I'm going to collide. Have you ever collided with someone else? That's what happens when we're focused on self. That's our problem. One of the best descriptions that I've ever seen about self and colliding with others actually comes in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in step three. It's the description of step three. And it talks about the role that self plays. And this is what it says. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. But we invariably find that at some point in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in the position to be hurt. Think about this past week. Did you get frustrated this past week? What was the root of that cause? What caused the frustration? 
Did it include that someone wasn't doing what you thought they should do? Did a conflict arise? And it could be with people we know and people we don't know. But this is our problem. We focus narrowly on us, on me, my, and mine. And you see, when there's conflict, there are consequences. Conflict is not without consequences. We see it in the story of Jacob and Esau. What does Esau do? He says, I'm going to kill my brother. What does Rebecca do? She says, Jacob, you got to go. What does Jacob do? He goes. You see, consequences of focus on self, consequences of conflict include anger. Anybody get angry this week? And you know, the thing about anger is there's power in anger. Look at what I can make people do. And we can justify that anger. We see the anger with Esau. Have you been angry this week? And the other thing we see is fear. And what we know is anger is a secondary emotion. It is not a primary emotion. Underneath anger rests fear. And usually fear, I've been taught, fear comes from, I'm afraid I'm going to lose something I got or I'm not going to get something that I want. And there are consequences. There are brokenness within our relationships. And we are waiting on the other person to figure it out. We're waiting on them. Now, it doesn't mean we get in unhealthy relationships, but yet it's important that we look at what our problem is. Our problem is not new. Our problem is in Genesis and ever since that we are focused on self. The book of James in the New Testament says this about anger. It's found in James 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. All right, how many quick to listen folks do we have? Slow to speak. And slow to become angry because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. It doesn't create alignment with God because there are consequences with conflict. And not all conflict is bad. We don't all have to agree the same about everything. That seems to be one of our challenges. Yet how is it that we interact with each other? Do we interact with anger and out of fear? You know, an interesting thing about the story is how many times did you hear God referenced? Zero. Esau didn't go to God before he decided he was going to kill Jacob. Jacob, it doesn't tell us that Jacob prayed to God before he fled. It doesn't say that Rebecca prayed to God. It doesn't say that. 
doesn't mean God's not there. You see, because we have the promise of our God, that our God is our God, that even in the midst of our focus on self, even in the midst of our conflict and the consequences of our conflict, that our God is always present. You see, God remains. His promises continue. The story does not end with Genesis 27. It continues. It continues into the New Testament where we see the new covenant, the new covenant of Jesus Christ, that God came to be with us through Jesus. And that is our grace. That is our redemption. That the story doesn't end in Genesis, though we see in Genesis our problem, just as we see the backstory. And we see our promises. We see our problem. Our problem that we are motivated by self. That being motivated by self puts us in conflict with others. And that there are consequences for that. And our God remains. He's constant in the midst of and despite of our self-focus. I encourage you this week, to be aware, not out of right or wrong or good or bad, not out of guilt or shame, but to be aware, because that's what I did last week, because I was preparing for this sermon, is I found myself going when I would be frustrated, okay, Brooke, am I frustrated because I've made this about only me? Try it, see what happens. See what happens when you become aware of the problem. And then this is the other thing I recommend that you do for the week. We passed out in August and you're like, I wasn't here in August, that's all right. We happen to have some more. It's our prayer guide. You can find it online at concordunited.org prayer. There's a prayer in this book called the prayer of St. Francis. It's a prayer that takes us off of ourselves and focuses on others. Instead of demanding that people take it from our perspective, that we begin to see things differently. Our view becomes different. It becomes through God and not just out of self. And so I want us to pray this prayer together as we conclude our time. It's a prayer for every day. On the days when we're really focused on selves and the days when we are not. May you know this is our problem, but this isn't the end of the story. Let us pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console 
to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.